welcome into Educational Leadership on the Go. Super excited to be back with you. The gang is together. We got Dr. Ryan Looning. We got Dr. Jamie Wellborn. Welcome into Educational Leadership on the Go. Um, these are green episodes, but just for a time frame, we are about five or six weeks into the new school year. And tonight for episode 16, we want to talk about the change process. I, I feel like throwing out the words change is just so generic, but uh, I feel like we're going to try to be pretty real with you. I think uh, in a podcast format, that's the advantage. It doesn't have to be as formal as radio or anything like that. And uh, as if you're new to the program, we're three uh, educators. Uh, myself, I am an elementary principal. Dr. Ryan Looning is at a head high, high school principal, and Dr. Wellborn is at St. Louis University uh, in St. Louis, Missouri at the college level. So various leadership roles. And uh, I feel like we just want to be real. We want to talk to you guys. We want to get your feedback. If you want to give us some feedback, you can always hit us up at leadonthego at gmail.com. Please shoot us ideas uh, for podcast episodes, things you're struggling with um, that we could talk about and, and bring to the forefront. And uh, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at educate underscore Bain, Dr. Ryan Looning, VPHS and Wellborn underscore Jamie out there in the Twitter world. So pass us along, subscribe, and uh, uh, retweet us, throw us out there. We're uh, just trying to spread the word, a little professional development on the go. So, uh, gang, welcome in. How are the first six weeks treating you, uh, Ryan? Been uh, a really cool change for me. Everyone knows who listens to this that I uh, became a uh, first-time principal at uh, Valley Park High School here outside of St. Louis, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri July 1st. So it's kind of been a whirlwind, but uh, I was talking to uh, Dustin and Jamie off the air, of course, and uh, that has been a, you know, it's been, it's been a fun whirlwind. You know, every day is, a, is an adventure, and I learn as much as uh, the kids, and I hope the teachers do too. So I uh, look forward to talking about all the changes that have gone on uh, at, at Valley Park, as well as the changes that, uh, that are happening to me because of Valley Park. Cool. Cool. Jamie, I know you even had a little bit of change in your role. You kind of talked about last time, uh, getting a little bit more maybe into that classroom setting. So how has that transition been for you this year? So I've been, uh, for the last three years, a program director of a professional development grant, uh, really an international one working with Saudi Arabian top educators. Um, and so my transition this year has been uh, really twofold. Um, now the assessment and accreditation coordinator for the School of Education. Uh, so I'm really involved in school improvement, um, which, you know, I love data assessment, you know, running the numbers all the time. So um, I'm getting into that. And then the second piece of that is that I'm teaching uh, foundations for uh, those who are wanting to be principals. So I'm really enjoying uh, that, uh, teaching an online hybrid course. So I'm um, kind of getting my feet wet both in the classroom and uh, navigating those waters online. I uh, It's funny. I, I knew you were teaching foundations. I don't know if it, I knew it was for principals um, in the past, but I that is one of the things that I would love to go back and do is work I'm starting my fifth year as a head principal. I guess this is my eighth in administration. And, like, it's so fun to talk to people and hear about what their thoughts are. And, and I'm sure you're getting a lot out of that. I can just imagine what the discussions are. That That's something I would love to do one day is to go back and, 
you know, either teach a master's level course or something like that. That'd be really cool um, to kind I of I bet share. there's some things you'd like to change, Justin. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> it's transitioning into change. <laughs> that is awesome. So I'm going to read the quote that Jamie put together here because as I'm reading it, it already uh, makes me think of something that I bet five or six weeks in people are already uh, struggling with. So it says, for better or for worse – Change arouses emotions, and when emotions intensify, leadership is key. You need both leadership and management qualities. Leadership is needed for problems that do not have easy answers. So I know for me, there's something that five or six weeks in jumps out to me. What do you guys, Jamie, you can go first. You wrote that there and, and, and obviously stuck out to you. What about that stuck out to you? Okay, so first let me give credit. This is uh, Michael Fullen's words, not mine. Um, well, but yeah. uh, what's, what sticks out You couldn't to, come up with something that eloquent. Hey! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so what sticks out for me uh, is just thinking back and reflecting on the different leadership roles that I've played, whether it was when I was, you know, even still a student, uh, probably in high school to, to now, and... Um, just periods of where I noticed myself uh, just doing those management type tasks and then times and recognizing, especially through teaching this foundations of educational leadership, just realizing um, certain qualities that have come out in during uh, certain situations, I should say. Um, and a lot of those times when the, the answer wasn't easy for me, I think that's where leadership was really called upon. You know, a lot of those managerial duties uh, can be easy. I, I know uh, a guy by the name of, of Heifetz from Harvard, I believe, writes about adaptive leadership and technical leadership. And so I think that those are the two things we're talking about. Leadership, not going to have an easy answer. And that's where, you know, you rely on some of those qualities and traits that you have and, and can be developed over time to uh, come up with innovative solutions to um, not get an easy answer, but to get an answer. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, Dustin, when I read that quote, you know, a couple of things really came to mind and uh, you know, the first is that I'm not a very emotional person in the first place. So um, when I read the quote, I was thinking more of how um, it Im the emotions may impact the people that the change Agreed. is coming upon. But as I, that's, as what, I that's what I thought about. Little, yeah. Yeah. As I thought about it a little bit more, though, I also realized that, um, you know, it's pretty emotional just in my building right now because. I'm new to them. You know, I, I, I always think about it from my perspective that, um, you know, gosh, you know, this place is so, so new to me. I'm learning all these things. And well, I'm the leader of the, of the building and, and my building is getting to know what my quirks are, my traits, my leadership style, those type of things. And, you know, there, the, my building was in a really good place where nothing had to be, you know, completely overhauled or anything, but I'm absolutely working towards some, so some changes and that does then create some emotional uh, instability in places. And what I'm trying to realize is that, uh, you know, and I, and I know this going in, that it's not about me. And uh, as long as I can remain objective, keep my emotions out of it, 
but recognize that it will be an emotional transition for other people who may have had a great relationship with my predecessor who, who liked the way things were. Even if I'm not changing overall structures, I'm sure tweaking different things. And, and my leadership style is certainly different. Um, I have to recognize that it does bring out those emotions in other people. So that's really what stood out to me, Dustin. And Jamie, thank you. Yeah, so uh, I think we all have, it's interesting, I think we all have different takes on this, which is, I think, what makes this fun and interesting. So when I read this, there was something that stuck out of me. It said you you need both leadership and management qualities. The reason is because I think, and, and... and maybe it wasn't always like this, and and I know that the transition as a school leader has vastly changed, and you name the number of years, go ahead, it's changed. And so I think the person was looked at as a manager. Make sure the school is functioning, kids are safe, everybody lines up, you know, whatever. And it, then it, it, it's really turned into this leadership. And so the words instructional leadership get thrown out a lot. And so, but... The reality is, is that some of our job and, and a lot of our job is management. That's that's a piece to the puzzle. And what it made me think of is I can remember I was actually driving the class at Maryville my first year as principal at Merrimack. So that was about five years ago. And I remember I was struggling because it was like literally like the fourth or fifth week of school. And I'm like, oh, my God, Dr. Whipke just keeps talking about how you got to be this instructional leader, instructional leader, instructional leader. All I'm doing is managing. All I'm doing is figuring out when this is supposed to end this, this, and I need to change this. And, and nothing huge, but it was just like management, management, management. So I had these like, you know, a battle with each side of my brain every day. And I called him and I was like, man, I am struggling, which is great to have a superintendent that you can call and have that conversation with. And he's just like, dude, your first year, you are going to manage a lot. You're trying to figure out the building, make sure it's running effectively, all that kind of stuff. Um to do that. And so that made me feel better. But I think one of the things that principals do is they jump in and they think I got to be this leader that does all inspiring things. And, and in reality, you know, management is a piece of it and you're and you've got to make sure that piece is under control. Or if you don't have the management under control, it can, it it causes chaos and you want to get emotions going into building cause chaos. Um, and then it, it, and then the leadership it's going to go right out the window. Um, and so I think that was something that I thought of because I think management and principal has such a negative connotation, but it is a piece to what we do. Um, so that was something I thought about. So Ryan, you said something when you were speaking about new principles and the emotions and creating change. And then you mentioned like, well, some people naturally had a good relationship with the person before you. They kind of like that way. And one of the things I want to get into, because, you know, when you talk about change, there's probably a ton of podcasts out there is like, let's be real. So you jump in a building. It's not just Ryan Looning because this is happening all over. It's happening in my building. I'm in the fifth year. Jamie's now in a excuse me basically a different department that has done things for different years now you're in so jamie ryan and and then myself thinking about that so you start down this road and you notice that you know obviously some people are going to move faster they're on the bus with you and some are kind of like indifferent about it um because of the whatnot if we're going to talk about change how do we attack trying to create those relationships and bring everybody along and what does that look like to you guys and either one of you can jump in on that 
Yeah, I can jump in first, Dustin, because it's so relevant to what I'm doing right now. And um, it, when I arrived, and we talked about this in one of our previous podcasts, you know, I, I did one-on-one meetings with anybody um, who wanted to come in with me during the summer vacation. Um, and I had 80% of my staff who, who came in and had a one-on-one with me. And really, I asked them some really basic questions, Not, nothing major. It was, you know, what are the strengths of our organization? What are some traditions that you don't want me to change? And what are areas that we can grow in? So right then, I was trying to get a feel for what the, the consensus of, of what we needed to change was, but also making sure I didn't, you know, step on people's toes of some really great things that we had going. Because, it, you know, whatever school you go to, there are great things going on there. Um, so you, you want to make sure you don't change those things, you know. And some people jump in, uh, do, do the cannonball into the pool rather than tiptoeing in and start changing things that really didn't need to be changed. So uh, making sure we have a focus on what needs to be changed was my number one priority. Uh, but then also I wanted to get a feel of my, for myself of what it really felt like in, in the building. And, uh, you know, cause there are people who want this change and that changed. And, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people who maybe need to see it to believe it. So, um, this, this, you know, five to six weeks into the school year, I do feel like there's some, um, I've learned quite a bit about some areas that, you know, that were brought up over our summer one-on-one meetings and, and have been able to, to tweak some things that I think have had some, some successes, which, which then gives you a little bit more credibility in the, and when you, as you, as I hope, as we move forward, starting to create bigger change. So that's kind of where I started, Dustin. I've done some surveys with the students and the community on some, uh, um, you know, I love my tech stuff and I've done uh, YouTube and uh, YouTube and uh, I've done some Mentimeter and uh, some uh, sur- survey type uh, presentations that I get a lot of feedback from from everybody in the audience, you know, not just the loud voices. I get the, the quiet kids, too, who can type on their phone or their computer or the, t- the, the quiet teacher in the corner who you never hear from unless you asked uh, specifically to them their, their feedback. And uh, that has helped me kind of create a a little bit of a, a plan to move forward. But I, I do think getting some consensus of what's really going on and what, what needs to happen and seeing it. And then also, you know, picking some, some places where you can make some change that will be positive for the school gives you some credibility. And, and I hope I'm moving in that direction, but I know we're also going to get into the implementation dip in a little bit. And, and I sent some of that too. So um, Jamie, how, how has it been for you and how have you seen it through your career? Hold, hold, so, hold on, a, Jamie, just a second. Yeah. I got to, because I, and we're not in the same room, so we're all three doing this. But I just wanted to say, because, uh, and and not to cut you off there, but I want to make sure I don't forget this point. So, Ryan, you said something that I thought was interesting that I didn't do a good job of when I um, took over. I got feedback. I got feedback, but you said something about, you know, in different realms, and you even included kids about feedback can you give some like resource because i think this is really important that um sometimes we think walking room to room is getting feedback but we're only getting it from those people and if it's positive we feel great about ourselves if it's negative we feel terrible about ourselves just real quick what are some resources that you've used in the meetings to do that yeah, so my two main main things are, are Nearpod and uh, Mentimeter. 
they're both two presentation platforms that uh, they're they're geared towards teachers, but they're also geared towards uh, presenters. Um, I've seen multiple um, uh, Thomas Murray, Wes Kieschnick, um, uh, Eric Scheniger. They've used those type of platforms at their um, their, their conferences, and and I've sat and watched, and I thought. Oh my gosh, they're getting, you know, responses and feedback from, you know, a thousand people in a ballroom. Um, all I need is, you know, responses from, you know, 35 staff members in right. a room or 100 students in a room. I, why in the heck aren't I using this? Because right. we, we all know this, Dustin and Jamie, that, you know, the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the, gets the oil. And, right. you know, we're always going to hear from those people. Um, I'm really interested to hear about the, the underrepresented, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the minorities, the, the kids who, who are quiet or introverted, you know, um, that's an opportunity to use those platforms. Again, you know, the, the two I use are kind of my go-tos are, are Nearpod and Mentimeter, and uh, my staff may get tired of them by the end of, the end of this school year and beyond, but uh, it, gives me, it gives everyone a voice, and, and I think that's important, uh, that giving is. all people voice, a voice. And I think it's it's super important because the ideas and things that they provide can be huge in your next step. So sorry to cut you off, but I think for people that are struggling or just want to get just flat out feedback but aren't really sure what they think the most effective way is, I think that's that's great advice. Jamie, sorry to well, cut can you I, off. Can I, can I yeah. cut, and, and, and let me? I'm going I'm to keep going. I'm sorry, Jamie. We're going to get there. <laughs> one one quick area that I think it's such it was so easy for me to change that. I was disappointed that it was that easy. Um, and I hope like principals and leaders think of this. I just asked them a couple different questions along with the big three that I asked, but you know, is there anything important that I should know about you that would help you, um, be a better staff member? And, uh, those, those kind of things came up. So, all we did was change our breakfast around a little bit to make sure we had vegan options. We changed our barbecue lunch around to make sure there were vegan options. And, and you couldn't believe the, the thankfulness oh of those gosh, three staff yeah. members. Yes. Uh, and it was, it was so easy to do, Dustin. It, it's so, you know, it, but it, again, it had not happened. So um, it, that piece of change, again, which I thought was really simple, has built some credibility amongst those staff members who, who are, you know, at least willing to listen to me now uh, when we are trying to make change, you know? That's super, super cool. When people know that you care, change comes easier. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. it just if, if that person cares for me, if my boss cares for me, then I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's not why we do it. We do it because, you know, we're common courtesy. But I think that just goes a long way in saying what kind of person we are. So, Jamie, we'll finally stop talking and let you talk if you even remember what we're talking about. Hey, so someone a couple weeks ago said, hey, those two guys don't let you talk at all. What's the deal? Uh, and I said, I, I don't know. And, well, it's kind of playing true tonight. But, okay, so um, a couple of my thoughts have gone out the window um, because I think we've hit on so many things here. But something that Ryan was just talking about, and you two know that this is a passion of mine uh, in the culture proficiency work, is about examining your, examining your own practice. Yeah. So there's there's this DILTS model of organizational change, which uh, really starts with it's about uh, the individual first, right? It's about identity and knowing who you are as a leader and knowing uh, the change that you're wanting to occur within a system and um, thinking through how that's going to affect 
the constituents. So whether that's students, whether that's your faculty members. So Ryan, when you started talking about um, vegans, I was doing some work in a school district uh, just, uh, I don't know, last week. And uh, we began to talk about students who may not be thriving within the school system. And so we began to list out those students who might not be thriving. And we got to the the category of talking about food and people who are considered to be like in a dominant group when it comes to food, right? Those that, that eat everything and anything. Most of our systems in America are set up that way. I think within the last, um, I don't, I wouldn't even say decade, but within the last five years, we've begun to see restaurants that have um, changed their practices, right? Or new restaurants that are coming out that that don't serve meat or focus Absolutely. solely on um, salads and, and things along that nature. And so when we think about that, just changing a little practice like that can open the doors, right? Open access for um, either students, parents, whoever it is, faculty members to be more involved in the work. But unless we really examine our own, meaning us as an individual or like the school district, right? And the practices that have been there forever and just seem to be like the identity of that, that organization, then we can't really open those doors for, for those who don't necessarily fit in that system. Yeah, you know, Jamie, that's a good point because it makes me kind of think of like my premise of this original question, if any guy can even remember it, which basically was when people don't really know if they want to buy in or not. It's really about showing them um, that all voices do matter. And so, you know, when you run into those, and, and Ryan, I don't know if we were, we were talking about, you know, um, building improvement plans, and, and, and I'm working on mine, and you're working on yours, but who on your staff is giving you influence on that? And I bet there's a, a certain amount of staff in Ryan's building, in my building, in Jamie's department that feel like I know I'm going to be asked because I'm always on those teams. And then I bet you got people that go, I don't really care to be on the team. And then other people that are like, I know I'm not going to be on the team because they don't value what I have to say. And so <laughs> what happens when you approach those people that just assume they won't be asked? Or the people that, oh, well, let's just call it what it is. They're just constantly negative but yet they're asked to be on that committee because it's kind of one of those that, well, if you're not happy, then we really want your input and you kind of turn the table on them. Um, so Jamie, when you were talking about that, you made me think of a lot of things uh, and, and naturally about those, excuse me, those principals, leaders. I mean, and I just say principals, but I mean, just taking over a business or you're, you're taking over a company or just a manager of a store and your staff isn't happy you got to get input from them. You got to say what what don't you like? And honestly, you're going to have to let be vulnerable and think that there might be things they don't like about me. Um, and and how is that going to look and 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 play itself out? Um, I think that's that's a and that's an interesting piece. But I, I think you guys both obviously hit the nail on the head um, when it comes to to understanding we need input from all. So I think it's really good advice. So I think, but, but you're talking about Dustin, like the resistors, the ones yeah. who, 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 no matter what we do, they, they are going to resist. And, and Jamie, you, 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 you did a little bit on our, um, kind of our prep work. And I know we go deep into our prep work hmm. with, uh, 
um, you know, so some of the resistors. I'm interested to see like at, at SLU because we talked a little bit about how, you know, you're working on your, your goals and, you, and you're doing your reports and those type of things. And, and it seems like there may have been a miss previously. So you're trying to do some things to make sure that, that those opportunities aren't missed again. What, what does that look like, you know, at the higher, the, you know, the higher learning level? Well, let me just say that I am totally in that management realm right now. There are some deadlines that approach pretty quickly when you talk about reporting to the state, the federal government, and uh, the the HLC at you know. At the Wait a minute! I thought you were level. private. I thought you were private school. And you got to do whatever you wanted to do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. You're going to have resistors in any type of change, and that's something that I really had to work on. You know, I knew there were resistors even from my very first teaching job, but it didn't hit me, I guess, in the face until I was an administrator, right, and I stepped into that level. And I think just one of the the most important things and something that I've changed my practice is is to, to lean into, I would say, those difficult conversations with the resistors. Um, I know there's so many quotes out there, so much research that has been done is that that we really do need those people in an organization to thrive. Um, and I think it's important because they they bring uh, different viewpoints. They bring different perspectives to the table that we may not naturally think about. And, the you know, the outcome usually ends up better when we do get those inputs. So, um uh, you know, I'm always going to go back to building relationships and building those meaningful relationships. And we talked about getting all voices in the room. When you approach that person who has been the complainer in every meeting, who who seems like they're putting up a barrier when you start to talk about this said change that's going to be happening, like those people are always going to be there. But But I think building relationships with them can be... I don't know, maybe your, your best bet. Yeah. Yeah. My, I would go right into that, Jamie, with my, I mean, I am not a, a high IQ person, but I, I feel like, and you guys have known me long enough now, but I have a pretty high emotional quotient. And, um, even in my faculty meetings, I, I can see the people who, when, when I'm you know presenting or talking about something, uh, you, you can sense the resistors and, and they're not, you know, publicly out going, Oh, you, you're terrible. You know, this is a terrible idea, da, 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 da. but they're, they're the ones having the parking lot conversation, those type of things. And my personality, I think has, has helped me through the years. And, and I would give, you know, I don't know how I can share this with others, but it just has worked for me with, you know, I, I don't go into it, you know, assuming that it's, you know, it's me or it's the change idea. What, what I've always gone into it is kind of assume that people just don't understand the the reason for the change and need to be educated and communicated to the why. And and what I've always thought it's my job is to present the why. And I know even with the even with a perfect why and great communication that people are still probably going to resist at some point um, because either they they were comfortable doing it the way they were and you know they like things a certain way and and it does work for them and. Uh, you know, Jim Collins' book that I think most people have read in organizations and schools, you know, the good to great, the, the hardest change is the, the people who are um, already doing good things. Why should we do great things? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause change. It's going to make them work a little bit differently. Um, I think they'll be more efficient when it's all said and done. But at that, when, you're, when you're trying to make that initial change, they, they think they're going to have to work a heck of a lot harder to 
to get through the change. So um, that's what I think of when I really think of trying to work with those resistors and, and, and having, you know, that, that strength of just having an open mind and not really worrying about them so much, just continuing to, you know, pound the why and the, the reasons we're doing it. And if you can show them the, that the change could help the process, help their work, help them be more efficient, then maybe you can get them on board. But you know what? If you don't get them on board, I'm going to worry about the other 80% because uh, they're the ones that are going to matter. And Dustin, you and I mentioned it uh, many times through our Maryville uh, doctoral work and even tonight earlier that, you know, you'll either get on the bus or uh, people have to get off the bus at some point. And that's, you know, that's the reality of this job. Right. So I've got something to add here. Um, you know, when you were talking, Ryan, about this, it made me, my mind go to compliance-based change versus like mm-hmm. that moral purpose type yeah. change. You know, you're talking about the why and getting to the emotions. You know, the moral purpose uh, of education is is so that we can we can serve our students better, right? So we can work towards that greater good, um, just like a higher purpose. Um, and when you when you spin changes based upon compliance, that's where you're going to get a whole heck of a lot of resistance. And and so you know, part of my role in this assessment is for us to see that that moral purpose, right? What why why do we have to involve ourselves in all of these levels of assessment? And whether you're a superintendent of a school district, whether you're a principal of a school, or you know whether you're sitting in my seat as a coordinator of this assessment and accreditation, you want to make sure that, that you have your why and you articulate your why, um, build those relationships, and, and then we can start working on that moral purpose of serving serving the students, right? So they be they become, you know, a, a positive uh, citizen in our country that's, that's contributing in, in whatever way they see fit. Yeah, and Jamie, and I'd add to that, with, and I kind of throw this back to Dustin then, because Dustin, in, in our buildings, and Jamie, you were in a you know a school building as well for a while. It's the managerial logistical um, leader that you know was previously here. I really feel like that that person, and nothing against that that what was happening then, but it was geared towards the adults in the building. It was not set up for the kids to have success. It was set up for the adults to be comfortable, the adults to be able to be in charge and have the power. And uh, they were the lead learners of of everything. And uh, we're shifting now where we're trying to make sure that we are kid-centered in every decision we're making. And, And that makes people uncomfortable. Um, and that's the change that we need to get to. Um, I, I have noticed a few things, and, and we are very child-centered at, at the school I'm at. But there's some areas where you're like, huh, we were gearing, we're gearing towards the adults when we made this decision rather than really looking at the kids. So, Jamie, I think that's a great thing to, to remind us of. And, Dustin, I know in your building that that's the number one focus. Yeah, I mean, I think that – uh, part of what we want to provide listeners is is real realistic uh, feedback, and I think everything I've just sitting here listening and taking it all in because it's good stuff. I think also what I think about is depending on what building you are in. Um, I, I learned this and I picked up this uh, little trick and and I was lucky when I took over at Merrimack Heights. It was definitely not in disarray. It was a great building. Um, ready to go from good to great, in my opinion. So that that was great. But sometimes there's two things that I think that leaders can do 
um, that will really help guide the change process. Ryan, you talked about the why, and I think you both talked about the why and understanding. That's that's a that's a huge part. But two other things. One, if you want to start the change process, pick something in the building that you feel like staff can rally around and change it. So like for, you know, I picked up Mary Kleekamp is a, is a building principal in Rockwood, and I heard somebody pass this along to me about the character education. So in my building, my first year, we were, they weren't really resisting change. There was just so much going on, new superintendents and new this, this, and this, that I felt like to show them the change process, we needed to pick something and change it just so they could see this is how it's going to go. Okay, Dr. Bain is going to tell us why we need to change it. He's going to lay out a vision of what we want to change. We're going to and, and just like go through it so it's like, "Oh my gosh, he said, you know, he said he was going to do something, he did it. Now I'm the next time he brings up change, I trust him." So we really I, what I said is I don't see alignment in our character education. We we have a lot of kids that struggle with character that come from some really tough backgrounds. What better way and what better thing to help change than the character education we're giving kids? Now, in the back of my mind, guys, what I'm thinking is, how do you argue against character education? Like that's that's in the back of my mind. I'm going like, all right, you may not like change, but can you really argue that kids don't need a better character education program? So that's kind of the you know honestly the trick in the back of my my head. And so, like, first meeting, it was completely voluntary. We had, like, 20 staff members show up. Yeah, I think we need to do this. So right away, you got you got buy-in from a good portion of your staff. You start laying things out. And lo and behold, we start with something and we end with something, and it's positive, and people are going, oh, that's what change looks like? That's not so bad. You know, so you take them through the process methodically and sell them through the whole time and, and understanding that they are a part of the process because they're just expecting you to tell them what the change is going to be. And I think that's a big thing, too. You can't just tell them what the change is going to be. you got to involve them in the change. Um, so that was just yeah, something. That's, a, that's that compliant change that Jamie's talking about. I mean, right there, that is that compliant change that, you know, there's a lot of people who will are good soldiers. They like their paychecks. Um, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll go along with what Dr. Looney says, Dr. Bain, Dr. Wellborn says, you know, whoever. But that doesn't really impact kids because they're just doing it because that's what the boss tells right. them to. To really impact change is exactly what you're talking about, Dustin. Setting up the systems that um, give people input, give them an opportunity to give feedback, and and then give the majority that get on board the opportunity to, to, to be part of that change. And once you do it once, you gain that credibility, and then you can continue to move on and on and on. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so the second thing I would say is empower staff. So, like, kind of selfishly, we're sitting here for the last 30 minutes talking about the leader, the leader, the leader. I really found power and when I, and I did the same thing. I met with my staff members one-on-one over the summer. What I found is that, man, we've got a lot of golden gems sitting here with so much knowledge that are just begging for change. They want to move, yet for whatever reason, whether that's not in their personality to step up and talk to their PLC or teammates, or they don't even meet as a PLC, much less like implement change, I really tried to seek out my curriculum people, my character people, and empower the heck out of them and be like, hey, go up to them and be like, hey, I'm going to do this character committee and like, 
I'm going to send it out, but I really want you to be a part of it, and here's why. And then all of a sudden, man, they're feeling sky high. Oh, the principal wants like empower your staff and and, and even do it. Yeah, you're going to have to be strategic. Like go to that kindergarten teacher and go like, look, I know you're uncomfortable, but you have some seriously good ideas, and if we can get this rolling, it's going to it's going to set us in the right direction. So I think like super huge empower your great staff members that for whatever reason aren't there yet in creating the change because it's just like the kids it's one thing if dr looning or dr bain or dr wellborn says we need to change this there's a whole different thing when that peer sitting next to you goes hey guys we need to change this that that it's a different reaction you know so empower those staff members um and guide them through that change um i want to Oh, go go ahead. Yeah, go, go. Yeah, I just want to touch on both of those things that you've talked about and kind of switch over to my other role in this education world of facilitating conversations around culture proficiency. So um, culture proficiency is, is an equity framework that is based upon change, right? It helps organizations look at their policies and their practices. It helps individuals. So whether that's the, the principal, the superintendent, teachers or staff, it, it helps them look at their, their practices, their behaviors and their beliefs within the school as well. And so when you talk about empowering them, like when, when I walk out of schools or districts where I'm leading these conversations at the end of, of each time, I make sure that I say, okay, at this point, you all have more knowledge and skills around equity probably than anyone else in the district. Hmm. Like, yeah. And so yeah. um, because they are coming up with areas which they feel they could improve, like I'm not coming in uh, misculturally proficient saying, here's what you should change because that would be compliance based stuff. Um, and then the resistance would be sky high and very little change would actually occur. But having them, um, through just self-reflection and a lot of dialogue, um, develop their own data around what they believe the changes should be to help better serve students and open the doors for access really empowers them themselves. So so they're the ones that have created it and, and they get to make that intentional decision whether they they enact upon the changes or, you know, they don't. But empowering them at the end that that they are the experts, right? They can go out then and train those who chose not to be in the room. Um with with this work so yeah i mean and jamie jamie as as, you know as i continue in my role i I can't wait to use you as a resource for um i've recognized in my five weeks at at, at valley park that there is absolutely an area of uh, cultural proficiency that we need to improve upon and uh you know, to anybody else listening out there, you know, hit Jamie up with some questions because she is outstanding and I've used her as a resource in other ways. And I look forward to as I'm, again, moving towards change. And this kind of leads me to my next point is that, you know, sometimes change is slower than I want it to be yeah. um, because I know not all people are ready for it yet. And this is an area that I recognize Jamie already um, that, you know, some staff members have brought to my attention. And that, so I paid a lot of attention to in the first five weeks. And 
that's an area that we need to improve upon. But I also know that I can't jump, you know, as I talked about earlier, the two feet, you know, cannonball into the pool. I need to kind of work my way into the pool, um, continuing to build consensus and showing the people the why and, and the how we're missing kids and, and how we can help these kids by doing some really, really cool things that, uh, you know, I hope you'll be able to help me with. And again, other educators listening out there, principals, administrators, uh, hit Jamie up at uh, Twitter. She will answer a lot of your questions. Yeah, I think. Thanks. Yeah, I think that um, it's hard because naturally, I would say the majority of your leaders are change agents, right? Or they want to be a change agent. I guess is the best way to say that. And so sometimes it's the whole. Uh, well, you're going to need to hurry up and wait <laughs> because. You can cause change, and and I had a former mentor of mine say, you can cause change, but you're going to be a tornado. You're going to cause change, and it's going to happen fast, but somebody's going to have to pick the shrapnel up after you're gone, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's what businesses need. Um, I don't know that you see that as much in the education field. Um, Maybe change is needed. Absolutely, 100%. And you see it in sports. You see it in other businesses like they're not succeeding. Come in, clean house, and move on to the next one. Um, But ultimately, if you do that, somebody's got to clean it up. may not be you, um, but somebody's got to clean it up. So the hardest thing to tell people that are in that position is that you have to hurry up and wait. But the wait part could be the most important part, which is the, the relationship building. And, and building trust and getting feedback. I just thought I, I thought it was interesting that both of you, whether it was cultural proficiency or Ryan, your current work that you're doing at Valley Park, at some point you guys in different ways mentioned feedback. And you know, I survey my staff at the end of every school year, and um, and I always change things based on it. And it's super important to understand we don't have it all figured out, and then um, have the humility to say, "Hey, I don't have it figured out." Um, I think before we kind of wrap up, one of the things, Jamie, you put on here and you guys alluded to earlier was the implementation dip. Um, I know I heard Dr. Whipke talk about it. Um, I've heard others talk about the implementation dip. I've read it in books. I, I don't think there's a timeline for implementation dip. I think it could be two years after you take over. It could be six weeks. Um, you know, and I, I could see right now um, – implementation dips and even in my school you know you always start the year people are pumped up they're excited you got a great presentation back you got focus and then reality hits you know behavior is probably usually good and then the rigor steps up behavior goes a little haywire you got a lot of five day weeks in a row and in the in the climate is kind of going up and down um which way the wind blows and what if it's a full moon or not you know so <laughs> is if as you talk about an implementation dip Let's let me look at it from this way. As experienced leaders here, how do you how do you ride that wave of everything's great, life's good, I love this new job, or I or I love this building, I've been here for seven years, and then boom, all of a sudden you get this feeling of just like whatever you do isn't getting any traction. What do you guys think about that? That implementation dip. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, and maybe this is, you know, the best resource you have 
are colleagues around you who have experience in this stuff. So when this starts, I pick up the phone or I text and say, hey, Dustin, hey, are you available? Let's go uh, have dinner and talk about this. Hey, can you go meet for a lunch and have a cup of coffee? Um, I'm really struggling with this. To me, it's it's your network that's outside of your building right there that that can really help you. And knowing when you have people who just listen and who have experience then and what you've kind of what you're probably going through already, they listen. And and all they do is just ask some questions. And as leaders, we're pretty reflective usually. Um, And no one's telling me what I should do at my new school or what I should be doing, but they're listening and then asking me, so, hey, why did you make that move there? Why did you try to do that? Um, not telling you, hey, you should have done that. And all of a sudden, as a, as a reflective uh, practitioner, I, I really think about, darn it, I, wh- why did I do that? And it's like, oh, my gosh, uh, mm-hmm. I sat here and I bought, I bought this person lunch who, who I knew was going to help me through this. So what I would say, again, uh, you know, it, is reach out to your network, you know, listen to a podcast like this. And, uh, there's a lot of great ones out there that can, you know, give you different ideas on how to handle some of those situations when they arise because they will. Um, but it, you can't go inside the building. I don't think because everybody's part of that. So you need to get some, maybe some outside eyes and ears to, to give you some advice and ask you some questions on maybe the why the, what you're doing is, is not effective at that point. Yeah. Jamie. Yeah, I really like what you said there, Ryan, about accessing outside sources. I I know we had uh, Rodney Lewis on here a few weeks ago, and I will never forget him telling me, like, you, you've got to step outside of the, you know, this, the four walls of the school. And at that time, as assistant principal, like, I couldn't see outside of those walls. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought that I had to be there every single second of the day, which, which, plays out true to to some degree, but just building those relationships and and finding out what you don't know. I think two things that come to mind with the implementation dip, I think as a leader, you have to anticipate it, right? So you have to be proactive, um, knowing that it is going to hit at some point and just kind of having in your pocket different ideas, different different strategies you may use, whether it's going outside, whether it's not outside, but seeking an outside resource, um, you know, reading literature on it, checking Twitter <laughs> for, for new innovative yeah. uh, measures. But I, I think just understanding that change process and, and Fullen writes about this, uh, he says, when the implementation dip occurs, you have to rede- redefine resistance and start to reculture, right? Change the way things are done. And I think one of the missteps mm. a, a lot of leaders so true. Uh, take is when that implementation dip occurs, the communication might not be as strong. There may be some scrambling and trying to find out what to do. And you don't want to miscommunicate, uh, of course. But, um, you know, I, I think it's very important. And, and it's one of the things that I kind of hang my hat on is, is admitting when things aren't going as, as we anticipated. You know, we had a great plan. Um, but the idea of school is continuous improvement. And if we are continually moving forward and, and change takes a long time, right? So I always say, I start my facilitation um, sessions with um, we are not going to arrive at a point where we're culturally proficient. Like me as the facilitator, I am not culturally proficient. I'm on a journey. And and I think that's what 
I think that's what school is, right? It is a journey by which we are educating uh, children. And, and in that, we're growing our own knowledge. And I think as educators, we have to know, and, and we know that as teachers too, right? We, we step in, we're, we're trying to target a specific standard or whatever, and the students still aren't learning it in the way that we've tried. And so then we have to access our outside resources, just like you said, Ryan. So I think just uh, being being ahead of it, anticipating it, uh, and then just communicating it, being humble through the, the process of change and recognizing that uh, we are on a journey and we're going to continue to get better, whatever, whatever that is. Yeah, I think that, uh, Ryan, I really liked your point about the outside resource because, like, I can think of time right now just struggling with uh, some kindergarten curriculum type things. And here I am. You know, I think that I have to solve it myself. You know, we're all sitting here and it's like, you know what? I picked up my phone, called Liz Anderson down the road that has a very similar school. I go, hey, what are you doing? So now we're doing something similar. It's okay to copy or make it and tweak it your own, right? Um, so that's, you know, uh, our first, well, we have PD Day next week. But in October, I've talked to the staff about behavior multiple, multiple times. We're bringing in a, a, a former teacher that works with Easter Seals on some different things. And it's like... I can only get up in front of the staff and you don't want that message to become stale. Um, and so it's like bringing those outside perspectives that we may not even be seeing. Um, so I think all of your, uh, your guys' feedback right there. And, and Jamie, when you're well, Justin, I, I know we're wrapping up, but I mean, a great hint for, for new administrators, leaders is you can't be an expert on all things. You just can't, it's impossible. So you have to reach out to others who can help you, who may be experts in, in an area that's, that's not your strength. And, uh, and, and that doesn't make you weak. That makes you strong to reach out for help. So that, that is my last piece, piece of advice on, on the podcast tonight. Yeah, I think, Jamie, you uh, even just sharing that full and stuff is so true. It made me think um, because I'm in a different spot being there the fifth year. It's so like, you know, you hear things and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to hear that. Like tonight, I mean, thinking like, okay, what's my approach now with PLCs? Because my, my staff is clear on what a PLC is, but I had a really good meeting with first grade today. And my thought is I need to be having that conversation I just had with first grade with all my grades. That's the next step. Here we are. And, and sometimes it just comes to you and, and you'll be searching for it and you got to be listening. You got to be uh, paying attention. Um, so it, it doesn't, it's not just early administrators. It's ones that are kind of midway through that journey or whatever, how long it's going to be. You got to be open and listening and kind of having your, uh, your, your, just open to, to, to the change. But I, and, and when, as I was saying, listening, I thought about Joe Sanfilippo that we had on, right? And he said, what do we have to do as new administrators? Or, and you asked him, what would you do? Listen, 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 listen. I mean, he just kept saying, listen, just keep listening. Um, and that takes patience, right? Because we want to do, um, but we can't do until we understand exactly what is needed. Um, and I think that's an important part. Um, some people I've talked to, they're struggling because they want to go, go, go. My, my final recommendation would be is as much as you want to go, you need to step back and listen because then you're going to know where you need to go. And so I think that's a kind of a good way to p- kind of put a bow on this. This was, uh, this was fun. I had fun doing this. Uh, what I loved about the podcast tonight and hopefully our audience enjoying it is just totally organic, just talking 
uh, talking over each other, just uh, letting Jamie talk more. That's our goal, I guess. Now we got <laughs> so we're we're creating our own that continuous goal, we will. Yes. Uh, continuous mm-hmm. improvement plan. When we get off, we'll be writing that out in uh, in a bip and, and making sure we have data to to back that up. So, um, but we appreciate all the audience. Uh, no, we had a little layoff, but as you can tell, this isn't our day job. So we put a lot of time and effort. Uh, into our job so trying to come to you is more consistent will be our goal and we'll see if we can achieve that goal so uh hit us up at lead on the go at gmail.com on twitter subscribe pass along and uh thank you for all you're doing good luck with your change